0: I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. It's Good Friday. It's April the 2nd, 2021. Good Friday is always a difficult and painful time, right? Um, we know that the resurrection's hiding there in the background, and and we we know it's coming. But one of the things that the liturgical church tries to do is immerse ourselves not in tomorrow but in today. It tries to ground us in the day that we're in, and so what it is attempting to do with the services of Holy Week is to ground us in that moment, so that we can stand at the foot of the cross. We can walk the via dolorosa with him we can see through partially through eyes that don't know about the resurrection and we're the point is to try and immerse ourselves in the death in the suffering in the horrible horrible events of good friday holding in abeyance the truth of the resurrection so that we might know the desperation of the apostles, the desolation of Mary, it's hard to do that. It requires a lot of us. It requires a lot of emotional strength to be able to do that. And uh, When I was pastoring a church uh, every year, I think, maybe, for like 15 years or whatever the number was, not quite that long, but I, I did a character study essentially, and I would put myself into a character and do the sermon from their perspective as they saw the events of Good Friday because it was the only way that I could get myself into a place where I could really just be in that moment. And it's hard to do. I, it, I don't even know why I chose to do it the first time. I have no earthly idea why I did it, and then so every year then it became a challenge to, to find a new one. I'm going to post on a YouTube page that I'll put in the description. Um, one that I did, oh, I don't know, you know, like seven years ago, something like that. And it was it was one I didn't want to do. I had people asking me, you know, what was I going to do? And I, and I said, let me pray about that. And, and I heard God say something. And it was like, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. And so I had decided that I wasn't going to that year. I wasn't going to do a character that year. And people were like, oh, we really want you to do that. It's one of our favorite things you do. And So I told God, like, maybe on Wednesday of that week, look, you've got like an hour to just drop this on me, and if you've got this, if this is what you want me to do, then you'll just give it to me straight up, and there won't be any, you know, struggle or whatever, and so He did. I just sat down upstairs, went up, sat down in a a chair in our bedroom, put my feet up on the ottoman, and wrote. So... What it is, is I felt like I was supposed to do it from the perspective of Satan. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I wanted to just ugh, vomit when I got done. Um, and it's kind of what C.S. Lewis said that his reaction to doing the screw tape letters was. That just getting into that mindset for any period of time is, is incredibly painful. It's incredibly difficult because there's this great evil that, can, that that's there. And, and you just don't want to spend time there. It's a struggle, and I probably will never do that one again, but I'll post the one that I did on the YouTube page. And like I said, I'll put the link in the description here. Um, It's it's a painful day to, to imagine that the Son of God, God in the flesh, submitted Himself to His own creation and allowed Himself to be put to death but not just put to death, to be abused physically and emotionally and every other way and to be abandoned by everybody. To be that emotionally alone and then to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even He. The perfect union of relationship within the Trinity was broken. And Jesus died. And it's just unbelievable, literally, that, that such a thing could happen. It, it, you can't possibly understand it because God's eternal. So how did he die? And, and then you see the, the reality of, of Jesus as the God-man dying on that cross. And he's, he's not dying because of anything he did. He's beca- dying because of things that we did. And we had done them already because God's time perspective is different than ours. So all the things that we had ever done had already been done. All those sins of all humanity were laid on him on that cross, and he carried them there willingly and took everything in the world for our sake. It's just its too much, right? I mean, it's too much to even try and get your head around to think about what we did to our own creator who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That um, Good Friday is literally the only good day that we've had since sin entered the world in many ways because the perspective of good belongs to God. And, And it's Good Friday because that is the hope of the world is Jesus finishing the work successfully on that cross. And so when he cries out, it is finished, he means the work of atonement, the work of salvation, the work of restoration, the work of reconciliation. It looks like he's saying life, everything that I came to do, it's finished, it's done, nothing else, and and yet, and yet, we know better, but at that moment, it looked like it was done, and so I understand that in a little different way this year because of the what's happened to my son. I, I don't know. I'm speaking in advance of Good Friday, actually, and I don't know what the future holds. I have no earthly idea what the future holds. I don't even know what it's going to look like the day you listen to this. But I do know that we have today. We have him today. So it's time to think about that, and it's time to deal with sin in our own lives. That's the point of Good Friday, is to deal with sin in our own lives, the sin that that put him there on that cross to start with. And a time also to thank him for the perseverance that he stayed there in love. When they're screaming at him, you saved others, save yourself. If you are who you claim you are, then you come down from that cross. He could have done so. But if he had done so, the work would never have happened. We would be eternally lost, and we would die in our sins eternally. But he didn't. The love that kept him there is the love that we celebrate. But we've got to deal with sin, right? I mean, we've got to come to that place. And, and um, as I speak these words, that we're still in the very early days of, of Will's situation. And, and I had two friends yesterday, who uh, wonderful brothers in Christ, who told me difficult things about my relationship with Will and, and things that I needed to repent of. It's helpful to have brothers like that. I don't know if everybody <laughs> wants somebody to speak into their lives in those moments, but I do. I do. I, I want to. I want that to keep me from pride um, for feeling like I'm somehow special because I'm undergoing suffering. Well, you know what? What they're saying to me is, is John, some of this suffering lands on you, and you need to bring that to the cross. You, you need to confess some things, and you need to deal with those things, and and it, it's it's hard, but it's the reason Jesus is there, and if I truly love my son, if I truly love God, then what I'll do is I'll go, and I'll say, Lord, I confess these things to be true. I confess that I've not loved my son enough because I was frustrated with his inability to move forward in life and the struggles that he's had, and uh, it, it's painful to do that, and it's painful to confess that um, I've resented the fact that that he has needed so much from Suzanne that that it's kept me from receiving. And to do that is a painful thing, but it's a necessary thing, and it's a necessary thing because those are sins Jesus had to die for, whether they, you know, are are horrible kinds of things, or or whether it's just sort of unforgiveness in my own heart that needed to be dealt with. And, and it's, it's tough, but it's necessary because we're, we're trying to follow Him on that path, and we can't do so as long as we're carrying those sins along with us. We've got to get rid of those things, and we need Him to expose them to us. And sometimes it requires other people to do that, and, and, but, but if we're to follow Him, then we've got to do so in such a way that, that we're becoming more and more like Him. It's not just a matter of walking behind Him, it's a matter of becoming more like Him. Carrying the burden of our own sin won't get us there, especially if we're not dealing with those sins in our lives. And so it's important for us to deal with sin. And particularly today, when we see so much love on offer and so much forgiveness on offer as we come to this cross with Him, and we see. I'm so challenged by the, the Old Testament lesson today, which is Genesis 22, one to 14, and it's when God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. I mean, he, he loved him. Abraham loved Isaac and now he's being told to take him and, and sacrifice him. Well, what kind of a God does he serve? I mean, Abraham knows that God's been good to him. He's prospered him and blessed him, and he's given him this son, and this, the promise that he made to him was to give him this son, and now he wants him to take him and sacrifice him. We think that he's probably about the same age Jesus was when, when he died. Isaac, that is, not Abraham. He's much older. Isaac's not a little boy. And this whole thing begins with, after these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said to him, here I am, and I can remember 20 years ago when I first went to seminary, there was a song, and you, many of you, I'm sure, know this, and it was older than that, and, but it was, here am I, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I've heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. It, man, Abraham hears God call his name, and what a wonderful thing, and, and he says, here I am, right here, ready for action, sir. And that's the action he's called to. And what's amazing is, you see, this after these things God tested Abraham, I was teaching a group of older men at one point, I don't know, 15 years ago, and, and we were going through the book of Genesis, and I told him when he got to this, I said, I absolutely despise this. God tested him for 25 years before he gave him Isaac, and now he's testing him again? You know, let let that old man be. Let him retire. And my point to them was... God doesn't do that. He continues to test us because He loves us and He wants us to see more of Him and know more of Him. And so this is a great revelation of God here, but it has everything in the world to do with Abraham and the angel's response to him at the end that has to do now I see that you fear God. That nothing matters to you more than Him, but, but He gives him back His Son in love and He recognizes again the renewal of the gift of Isaac is what happens here but but Abraham loves God enough that he's willing to do anything no matter if it makes no sense at all um, Kierkegaard wrote a wonderful wonderful treatise on this and and he talks about the teleological suspension of the ethical and, and what it, what it's saying is is that he, he's keeping the end in mind that, that the, the ultimate goal is is pleasing God and knowing God. And therefore, he suspends what he believes to be ethical behavior and is willing to engage in something that, that even Abraham believes to be wildly unethical, which is to kill his son in a sacrifice to the God who gave him that son. But he does, right? I mean, he does that. In, in his heart, he has done that. So because Abraham gets up early in the morning, saddles his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place God had told him. And on the third day, he lifted up his eyes, the third day, he lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He doesn't say I and my son. He says I and my boy. And then The rest of this stresses that. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So Isaac's carrying the wood for his own sacrifice up that mountain. And then as they're going, Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. They got to the place, and Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order for the fire and bound Isaac, his son. So this man submits to being bound and then laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. There's no more horrible words in the Bible until we read about the crucifixion. But the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and for the third time, Abraham says, here I am. And the angel says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. He had to make an offering in that place because he was just given back his son alive. And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. That was close. That was close, but it's, it's the preview of Good Friday when God didn't spare his only son but sent him to die on two pieces of wood. Hands pierced, side pierced, head pierced by the thorns, beaten, bloody, raw, stripped, naked, the derision of the crowd, the betrayal of his own apostles, which we see in Peter in that lesson for today where Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you? Lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You'll lay down your life for me, Peter. He will ultimately lay down his life for Jesus, but not this day. Not this day. He's not ready for that yet. He's not man enough yet to lay down his life for Jesus. He's still fearing too much of man. And that's what happens. Peter fears man. He fears what might happen to him if he claims Jesus as his Lord. He got over it because of the resurrection. He writes in that epistle today concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. All those prophets wanted to know what person or what time this Messiah, this suffering Messiah and the subsequent glories were going to come and it was revealed to them then that they were serving not themselves but you, you who would see it, you who would, would live in the age of resurrection. And, and they saw this so that you could look back on those prophecies and know And he says, preparing your hearts and minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I'm holy. And that gets us back to that place of the cross and the necessity of us as human beings, as followers of Jesus Christ, as still betwixt and between in holiness and righteousness and sanctification and all that, that we, we still need the cross. We can't just go to the tomb. We still need the cross. We still need forgiveness. We still need the sacrifice of Jesus. And so that needs to be ever-present before our eyes as we walk that road and we, we try to be holy as he is holy because we're called to be like him. And so we need that cross. We need Good Friday. And then he says, if you call on him his father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He foreknew, was foreknown before the foundation of the world was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. We need everything. (laughs) We need Jesus' life. We need His teaching. We need the miracles that He does and continues to do through the power of the Holy Spirit in the world today. We need that cross, though, because without the cross, there's no resurrection. Without the cross, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without the cross, there's no atonement for our sins. He replaced the bloody sacrifice on the altar with the bloody sacrifice on the cross at Calvary, today. Today is the day hope became real. Today's the day when the the work that was prepared before the foundation of the world, because God foreknew sin that would come into the world and the necessity then, and He created it anyway, created the world that would turn on Him and would crucify His Son, Anyway, because he loved it so much. He did all that, and they knew it would ultimately come to this climactic moment in human history when God would show his love for the world in the sacrifice of his only Son, the one that he loves, on that cross at Calvary for the sake of his love for us, for you and for me. That should humble us, but it should also empower us because we know that there is plenteous forgiveness. We know because of the cross that miracles are possible because God inhabits this earth. He inhabits the earth through his people who are filled with his spirit And we know that without this day of days, without this pain, without this sacrifice, we have nothing and we have no hope. But because of this day, it's good because it was exactly as God ordained it to be. That's the definition of good. No matter what we might call good, what's truly good is when things are exactly the way God intended them to be. And no matter what this day looks like from a human perspective, it's a good day because it's exactly what God intended.